Well, good morning again. And it is my uh, pleasure to be able to preach the Word to you today. I've, Pastor Steve has put me through the gauntlet, the crucible. Uh, I get testing me out in other churches, I guess. But uh, it is my pleasure to speak to you men. This is where my love and my heart is for you guys uh, to be able to open up the Word and to... Uh, exposit to you. Our text will be in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 30. And if you know anything about the book of Philippians, it's, uh, it's one of my favorite letters that Paul wrote. And it's, uh, it's a letter that is about joy and rejoicing. Even though that, that, that is the, one of the main themes of this letter, uh, my focus is going to be on how to walk a worthy life in a manner that is uh, honoring to Christ and for the gospel. And John Piper describes this, this terminology of the worthy of the Lord, worthy of God, worthy of the calling. He defines it as, quote, an act in a way that fits the great value and glorious nature of God and the gospel, and your calling. It is our conduct. It is how we live our lives, men. How we live our lives in the church, in service, in the world, in our jobs, at school. And uh, much like Dr. Boosnitz, I do love church history. And I look at men throughout church history and see their conduct and how they stood firm for God. There's so many to... Uh, look at men to look up to and to be encouraged by, like Polycarp, uh, Clement, and others. But I think of Athanasius. He was uh, born in the late 3rd century and lived during the 4th century. And you may know him as uh, uh, the one who was very influential in the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. He was also a prolific writer and skilled theologian. He he battled against Arius, who uh, had this heresy that taught that Jesus was created by Father by the Father at some point. And the thing about Athanasius, he stood firm in God's word, and he was exiled five times during his lifetime. And he's, in between each time, he was brought back into the church and then exiled again. But he stood for, and he fought for the fundamental Christian doctrines. He endured persecutions and suffered from it. But he persevered. And he did not capitulate. Not like recapitulate, like Jay Street preached on a few Sundays ago. Capitulate, giving in to. And I think of also, I'm reminded of the, the, one of the famous Puritans who wrote one of the most popular Christian books, other than the Bible, of course, and that's John Bunyan. And Bunyan worked as a tinker. He worked with light metals and before his conversion. And in 1655, he would preach his first sermon. But during his time, he spoke out against Charles II of England, who restored the Anglican Church, and they controlled how the churches operated. They prohibited how the churches would... Uh, Work. You can only have services according to the Anglican Church and by the decree of Charles II. Bunyan preached against that. He was ultimately arrested in November 12th, 1660, and imprisoned. He would spend nearly 12 years in prison for speaking for God's truth. And Bunyan's prosecutor, he was allegedly hesitant to send him to prison. He wanted to release him. But Bunyan told his prosecutor, quote, If you release me today, I will preach tomorrow. I'm going to continue to preach God's word, and I'm not going to compromise. In prison, Bunyan had two possessions, and there are books. John Fox's Book of Martyrs, and the Bible. And then while in prison, Bunyan would write his most famous allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress. 
If you haven't read that book, you're you're missing out on some spiritual truth through Bunyan's uh, words. This book made him the best well-known nonconformist of England in the day, and and he wrote one of the best allegories. And Bunyan would eventually be released from prison, where he he uh, nearly wrote sixty books and sixty tracts during that time. Bunyan stood firm on the truths found in God's Word. He did not waver in his convictions. He spent those 12 years and he would minister to 60 other prisoners. Just like James Coates in Canada. When he was imprisoned, he ministered to the prisoners. Bunyan lived for Christ, served others, proclaimed the gospel, and suffered for the sake of it and for Christ. He had this fortitude, this focus, this passion, the love for Christ that was all-consuming. These men, Athanasius and Bunyan and others, faithfully served Christ our King. And we see this in Paul's life. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he encourages the Philippian believers to do the same. The book of Philippians is a letter about joy and rejoicing. And no matter the circumstances, all the while remain in Christ and enduring suffering and affliction. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. And beginning in verse 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh... This will mean fruitful labor for me, but I do not know what I will choose. But I am hard-pressed between the two, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your reason for boasting may abound in Christ Jesus and me, through my coming to you again. Only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about your circumstances, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, contending together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents." which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake that not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same struggle which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Let's pray. Lord, these words Paul penned through the direction of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that he stood firm on your word, that he didn't waver, that he would, his eyes were fixed upon you, Lord, and we pray that our eyes will be affixed, or fixed upon you, Lord, that we would seek your glory for your purpose to further your kingdom and be used mightily by you. Be with this time. We ask all these things in Christ's name. As you see in, in the, these verses that Paul was hard-pressed. He's conflicted. I mean, there's been times in our lives you probably, it's better to be with Christ, to live in this world. But Paul was conflicted. I want to minister to the church. He wanted the Lord to use him in the church, and into the lives of the fellow believers. And this morning, we'll look at four principles of the Christian life that we remain steadfast and faithful in the Lord. It is my hope this morning for you men to discipline yourself, to train yourself to live a life that is a living sacrifice and acceptable to God. 
as Nate read from Romans 12 this morning. But Paul, such a great example on how to live for Christ. And this is our first principle. You must live for Christ. Verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But I, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. We understand why Paul would want to be with Christ. He is in prison, chained to a guard, He's experienced some of the most horrendous things for for Christ in his life. He was stoned and left for dead. But he continued outside of the city of Lystra. He, He got up and preached the gospel again. How many of us could do that? When our lives are at stake for Christ. But Paul had the zeal and his passion to serve the Lord. He had this target fix, this ambition to serve Christ, to serve Him faithfully. He also had this ambition to be with Christ, to find this rest in His Savior. Since Paul's conversion, Paul's passion to serve Christ and glorify Him through the proclamation of the gospel was paramount. The majority of the New Testament is written by Paul. Much of the book of Acts is about Paul's missionary journeys. With earnest imprisonment and opinion of this letter, Paul was torn between the two to be with Jesus or the advancement of the believers in Christ. Paul had this desire. He underwent tremendous persecution. Not only from unbelievers, but fellow so-called believers in the church. The majority of the churches that Paul planted, there was false teachers uh, making their way in, and he had this constant battle to defend the faith. And Paul would do it at any cost, at the cost of his own life. Men, I ask you today... Are you ready to die for Christ? Men, we are not ready to live until we are ready to die. And Jesus warns us in John 12 not to elevate or hold on to our lives. Jesus said in verse 25, He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Are you holding tight unto your life, unto the world? Your life must not be held in a high regard. You must completely be willing to sacrifice your life for Christ. That's what Paul did. That's what Paul's encouraging the believers in the Philippian church. We all live a life... we have this natural inclination to, for self-preservation. We want to protect ourselves from injury or harm. That's the natural fight or flight. But man, man, we need to put ourselves aside for Christ. We must decrease and He must increase in our life. Then we can be so focused and target fixed on other things other than Christ in our lives, other distractions. Some of us men, we focus on our careers, that we, we hold it high in, in this regard. We want to go up the ladder of success, get accolades. And young men, some of your lives are consumed with inconsequential things that take up your time video games popularity peer pressure 
even girls. <laughs> if you're a, an adult man here, we've all experienced that in our lives. Young men, don't be distracted by these, these worldly, mundane things. Anything that hinders you from correctly and rightly worshiping our, uh, our King, Christ Jesus, is an idol. Don't be engaged and practice idolatry. But Paul was mission-minded. Paul put away his selfish ambitions. He solely desired to serve Christ. Paul's mindset was so consumed with Christ, he can say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Man, is that your battle cry for the Lord? Are you dying to self? Have you been crucified with Christ? Are you living for Christ? Is He living through you? Verse 23, Paul says here, But I am hard-pressed between the two, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Paul was torn He had a strong desire to depart and be in the presence of the Lord. We should all desire that. But he also understood that it would be beneficial to fellow believers that if he remained. He put away his selfish desires for the sake of the fellow believers. Apostle Paul understood that this would that would he would be able to instruct, encourage, and build up the church for Christ's sake. Paul lived his life for Christ no matter what the circumstance was. He had this zeal. In verse 23, we see this word, this term, hard-pressed between the two. This imagery is like walking through a tunnel, and the sides of the tunnel is slowly getting smaller and pressing upon you. It's getting smaller, and it's crushing you. If any of you have went out to Eastern Kern County and went through the Burrow Smith Tunnel, if you heard of that, it uh, took a, a few decades to build this man in the side of a mountain, and the older he got, you know, he got slumped over. The tunnel got shorter and smaller. So when you walk through the beginning of the tunnel, you can walk up upright, but if you're a tall guy and a big guy, you're going to get stuck. So, that's like what Paul's talking about, being hard-pressed. Being pressed on all sides. That's a weighty expression. He had this strong desire in verse 23. It says, "...the desire to depart and be with Christ." That's an intense Greek word to uh, depart. It's dealing with a navy, like a ship. And being a former navy guy, this, this speaks my language, knowing that it's the mooring lines. You're letting loose of the mooring lines and you're setting sail. He wants to depart from the, the dock. He wants to set sail and be in the presence of Christ. Men, yes, that should be our desire, but it also should be our desire to sacrifice ourselves for fellow believers. For the men in this room, the men of this church. Go into battle or into an intense situation, which I've, I've experienced some intense situations in law enforcement. And it can be heavy, a daunting weight on one's shoulders. When I first started working patrol graveyards on the east side of Bakersfield, I was running around like a deer in headlights. My eyes. 
but you're trained and you're disciplined to do the job safely and effectively. You can train the human body to do these things, these handle these heavy, intense situations, these stressful situations. But you have to train yourself. You have to discipline yourself like an athlete. We must train and discipline ourselves in the Word to be able to defend and to proclaim the Word to others. Yes, our, the uncertainty of life and the, of the outcome is not known. Men, you can go blindly into the fray, but men, if you are in Christ, you know that the outcome, Christ is victorious. And we are victorious in Him. Shouldn't this bring great confidence in how we go about our daily lives that the battle's already been won? That we can go faithfully and do our Christian service, serve the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. The Puritan Richard Sibbs said, quote, What greater encouragement can a man have to fight against his enemy? than when he is sure of the victory before he fights. We have that assurance, that victory that we won. We are victorious in Christ. No matter what happens to you, if you suffer or endure persecution or even die for the faith, you won. And Paul understood that. Then your life should be consumed with Christ, just as Paul's life was. Christ must be the most important thing in your life. The Apostle Paul lived for Christ. Are you living for Christ? John Calvin would say that faith and love are the sum of godliness. Have this godly and holy life that is obedient to the Lord. Men, not only are you supposed to live for Christ, but this brings us to our second point. You must live for others. You must live for others. Verse 23. But I am hard-pressed between the two, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for, all, for your progress and joy in the faith. Verse 26, so that you, your reason for boasting may abound in Christ Jesus in me through my coming to you again. Paul fully embraced his calling to remain here on earth and to further serve Jesus Christ and equip the saints. Paul was willing to set aside his desires for the sake of others. He had this heavy pull, this prompting that he wanted to serve, to sacrifice his life for others. In John fifteen thirteen, no greater love is than this, and one gives his own life for another. Paul was hard pressed between the two. He was filling it on all sides, but he understood that he needed to be with the believers in Philippi to serve them, to teach them, to help them battle against the false teachers. Paul wanted their faith to grow greatly. He wanted to be able to exhort and equip them to grow in their sanctification. These sacrifices we all experience are usually for for a godly purpose, but sometimes we have selfish ambitions that sneak in there and trip us up. But Paul was target-fixed. He was able to set aside his ambitions. And he put others at the forefront. And in law enforcement, I've worked on teams and special investigations where you're a team. You have each other's back. 
Yes, you have a sense of your safety, but you first look for the safety of the other on your team. Because if somebody's looking out for your safety, it just goes around the team. Everybody is covered. Paul is looking out for the other believers. He's not focused on himself. After his, if you realize that after his conversion, Paul came to realization that he was on the wrong team, right? Before he was persecuting Christ's church. But now, Paul is making sure that he is serving Christ's team effectively, all for the glory to Christ. So our lives need to be sacrificial service to others. We need to give ourselves up for others and put others before ourselves. That deference, the preference, our preferences aside, others' preferences ahead of ours. Men, you need to give up your personal preferences for the sake of others. Sometimes that's hard to do. We can be selfish men. One of us, or each of us here can look back at times in our life where we have acted selfishly and, and had the regrets of putting ourselves above others. Like I said, working at high risk, high stress, and these investigations my line of work it takes focus and a mindset that that involves training and the experience that I've, I received and puts it into action to have a successful outcome the never quit mindset Paul had the never quit mindset I'm not giving up I'm not backing down I'm leading the charge for Christ. Having a sacrificial character is an act of love for another. And Jesus gave us that new commandment that that you love one another even as you have loved I have loved you that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Are you showing love for other believers? Are you just loving yourself? Which is easy for us to do. We have no problem with that. We can easily love ourselves. And Christ is our ultimate example on how to live for others in love. Paul in Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love just as Christ has loved us and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And Paul tells us to pursue love in 2 Corinthians 14.1. And let all that you do be done in love. Man, we are to stir up love and good works with one another, as Hebrews 10.24 says. Not only are we supposed to be sacrificial and loving towards others, but we're supposed to care for the sanctification of the other men here, other believers. We just launched the new discipleship ministry. Are you pouring into somebody's life? Are you seeking the, the sanctification of another believer's life? To see them grow in the knowledge of God? We're supposed to come alongside one another. As Romans fourteen nineteen. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. 
our lives are to be consumed with serving Christ, serving others. And thirdly, we must live for the gospel. You must live for the gospel. Verse 27 and 28. Only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about your circumstances, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, contending together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you and that too from God. Are you gospel minded? I think of missionaries like Hudson Taylor and Eric Little. I find it fascinating about Little's story. I read a book in one of my TMS classes uh, about his life. It was written by a, uh, a non-believer, Duncan Hamilton. But he paints a good picture of uh, Little's life. Who He, he was a, a gold uh, medal winner in a track. One of, the, one of the fastest runners of his time. But he gave that all up to go to China to be a missionary. Because he wanted to serve Christ and to proclaim the gospel to the people in China like his father did before. And this was during the World War II. Little will be uh, captured by the Japanese and put into a, a camp. But he took that opportunity to serve others, to love others, to share the gospel, to train others, and to put himself aside. He didn't gloat his accolades. He didn't say, I'm the number one Olympian. Which all these companies sought for him to go around the world and throwing money at his feet that he turned down. Little would give away his gold medal so they can have food in the prison camp. That's how Little, Little saw his gold medal. It was nothing. Nothing. The gospel and Christ was everything. Men, evangelism is for every believer. You're not exempt. You don't get a get out of evangelism free card. That commandment in Matthew twenty eight, nineteen through twenty is not only for missionaries. Are people being sent out to foreign lands? It's for you. If you are a Christian or call yourself a Christian, you are to evangelize, to proclaim the gospel. It's not just for pastors or people who work at churches, it's for everyone. Yeah, many of us have that fear of evangelism. We think that we're not qualified or trained. Man, if you're in Christ, you should know the gospel. That's what saved you. The gospel is what saved you. You should know it. And two, if you are a Christian, you should have this burden burning in your heart for the lost. Because the lost are on the way to destruction. Our hearts need to ache for those outside of Christ. The lost need the good news, the gospel. Men, if you're unsure on how to 
share or proclaim the gospel. Come alongside one of these men here and ask for help. You know it. Maybe you just don't know how to word it. But the evangelism is for every believer. And that's what Paul did. That was his focus. He evangelized anybody he came across. I know many of us know that person that you can be standing in a line anywhere at the restaurant or in an elevator next to somebody and they automatically share the gospel without fear, without concern of being uh, turned down. Well, how we should desire the same mindset to not fear what others think of us when we share the gospel. Listen, men, you don't save people. Christ does. It's not up to you. If it was up to us, nobody would go to eternal life. But it's in God's hands. You're just the messenger. That should lift a lot of burden off your shoulder, knowing that God has it under control. And ask yourself, have I lived a life that lives for the gospel? Do I have a desire to see the lost saved? Because there's, there is good news found only in the gospel of the cross, in Christ Jesus. I'm sure we all have family, friends, and co-workers who are on that path to destruction. If we do love those who are lost, wouldn't it be a loving act to proclaim the gospel to them? We should not fear man, but obey God. Just like Peter, who when they got released from prison they, they were told not to preach the gospel they all said ah, whatever they went and preached the gospel not fearing that they would go back to prison but they were being obedient to Christ and his commands brothers if you want to live a worthy life that is pleasing to God Share. I try to stay with that word share. Proclaim the gospel. Herald it to others that are lost. And Paul mentions here in Philippians and in chapter 4 of Philippians 2 that we are co laborers with Paul. Men, if you're a Christian here, we are all co laborers with one another for the gospel. In Philippians 4.3, Paul says, Indeed, I ask you also, also, genuine companion, help these women who have contended together alongside of me in the gospel with also Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We are co-laborers in Christ. Just look around you. Look at the team we have here at Grace Bible Church. In verse 27 of our our passage, Paul tells the Philippian believers to only live their lives in a manner that is worthy. What is a life that is lived in a worthy manner? It's your conduct. How is your conduct displayed to others? Are you living a life that, it, that is, as a citizen of this country, is a, lived in a law-abiding manner? Are you confrontational? Are you a closet protester? <coughs> Having a Christian commitment requires certain conduct. You are to live your life consistent with the gospel. 
Our Christian walk is to be consistent and match up with what we believe. In verse 27, Paul gives us some characteristics on how to conduct ourselves, to live this life worthy of the manner. In verse 27, he says, the second half, that you are standing firm. You are standing firm. Our Christian walks must be lived out consistently with the gospel. Our feet must be planted, fixed, unmovable, It's like the military, the Roman soldier digging his feet into the ground and ready for the enemy to come attack. I'm not moving from my position. I'm protecting it. I'm prepared to hold this position for battle. And I'm not giving it up at all cost. Standing firm for Christ. In his commentary, William Hendrickson says, this describes, quote, the unity here envisioned in one of striving or struggling side by side like gladiators against a common foe. If you know anything about the Roman army, the military, they locked shoulders. They stood side by side. I didn't mean to quote, I mentioned this movie, but the 300 is a great example of how Leonidas and his troops stood together. That's what we're supposed to do. Stand firm together. Struggle together. Our first watch verse, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. That should be tattooed on the inside of our eyelids. We see that and live it. Don't actually go get a tattoo on your eyes. But Paul is telling the believers in Philippi that no matter what comes your way or what happens, conduct yourself and live this life in the Word of matter and stand firm for Christ. Don't waver. Our world is full of so-called evangelical churches that waver. Men, we don't need any more. And Paul goes on and says, we need to be of one spirit and one mind in verse 27. These two phrases basically mean the same thing. Not only are we to stand firm, but we have the same affections, the same convictions that are held together by God's Word and His truth in it. Departure from God's Word is departure from God. We need to have sound doctrine, sound theology, sound teaching. We're also supposed to contend with one another. Verse 27, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Paul used the, the Greek word for this, for striving. Like an athlete or a wrestler who is competing and giving all their effort. If you played sports or or athletic and you're in anything competition wise, men I know men here are very competitive. You gave your hundred percent effort, right? And you knew those guys who didn't. Paul's saying give a hundred percent. Strive and contend. We are called to do this. For the sound doctrine and the teaching. And Paul's telling the believers, strive for this that I taught you. Contend for it. Our unity must be found in the Word of God. But not only contend together, but don't be alarmed. 
by our opponents. Verse 28, Paul writes, "...in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God." The opponents that Paul is speaking of are are false teachers that infiltrated the church. Some were Judaizers who are trying to put the believers under back under the Mosaic law. But Paul's telling them don't to worry about it. Don't be alarmed by it. Contend, stand firm for the faith. Struggle alongside with one another. Lock arms like that soldier. Paul gives a warning in Philippians 3, verses 2 to 3. He says, Beware of the dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Be aware. Be watchful. Men, don't worry about those who persecute you for your faith. Don't be alarmed. Hold firm to the apostles' cheating and doctrine. Don't waver. Plant your feet. Stand your ground. Strive together with one another for that affection for God, for His truth, for the furtherance of the gospel, for Christ, for others. Even though there's opposition Don't capitulate. Don't give up. Don't recant. All this opposition is from God, who sovereignly decreed these afflictions and sufferings. Which lastly brings us to our fourth point. You must live with the, with the suffering of grace in mind. You must live with the suffering of grace in mind. Verse 29, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same struggle which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Most, if not all, people wonder what is the purpose of suffering in their life, the purpose of trials, Many of us may have thought that when we're struggling through an issue or a difficult time. Why is this happening? Most non-believers sometimes see suffering as bad karma or you brought this upon yourself kind of thinking. Some think it's a curse. They curse at God and ask Him why they've done this or allowed this suffering into their lives because they're they're good people. We're good at comparing ourselves to other people. But Paul is telling us that affliction or suffering goes hand in hand with our salvation, it's guaranteed. In Paul's epistles, he he speaks of affliction and suffering over 60 times. Salvation and suffering, it's a package deal. If you're a Christian, you will suffer. And Jesus warned in Matthew 10, 24, that the slave is not greater than the master. If they persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute you because you're not above the master. And Paul in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, what? Will be persecuted. Don't think you're going to go through life without any sufferings or afflictions. And if you haven't, I would question your conduct, your life. Are you living for Christ? After Paul's conversion, he was told by Jesus himself that he would be suffering. 
In Acts 9.16, Jesus told him, For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Paul suffered tremendously. But he embraced this possibility and the suffering. He was willing to die for Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.31, Paul writes, I affirm, brothers, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Men, do you die daily for Christ? Are we dying to ourselves? Paul was able to utter those words, I die daily. The believers at the Church of Philippi accepted Paul as a genuine apostle of Jesus Christ, and they were willing to imitate him even in the midst of their afflictions and sufferings. Are you willing to imitate Christ if they so persecuted and our master? Are you willing to be persecuted yourself? We should see suffering as a privilege. Paul in verse 29, For to you it has been granted. That word grant is grace. This is a grace that has been given to you through Christ Jesus. It's a gift. Suffering is a Christian privilege and honor. Salvation is a gift from God. As we know in Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Suffering is a gift of God as well. This faith that was granted to the Philippians and to us is a, a gift from God. Men recognize that suffering is a privilege in Christ. And also recognize that we, as fellow believers, we have men of God, we share the suffering. In verse 30, having the same struggle which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Brothers, Paul is saying that the believers at Philippi are experiencing the same struggles. They're struggling together. We're one. We're united. They're agonizing. We don't suffer alone as believers. We suffer as the church with other believers. We are in a spiritual battle. And then later on, in, or early on in chapter 1 of Philippians, in verse 7, Paul says, You are fellow partakers with me in this grace. The grace of God that was extended through to them through Christ Jesus. They're fellow partakers in the suffering, as we are too. The first century churches, they knew what struggling and suffering was. Do we? Do we? We live in this a country that still has religious freedoms. But have we felt the full weight of persecution and suffering? Read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Those are men and women that suffered for Christ. Men, listen. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.6. But whether we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or whether we are comforted, it is for your comfort. 
which is working in your perseverance in the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, you also, so also you are sharers of our comfort. <clears throat> what encouraging words that we can come alongside one another and share in the sufferings and share in the comfort. And Jesus was not exaggerating when he taught his disciples in Matthew sixteen twenty four, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We need to deny ourselves, die to ourselves daily, follow Christ, even if it means being persecuted or suffering. Now, suffering doesn't just necessarily mean direct persecution, just having difficulties in your daily walk. But men, be encouraged that suffering has a purpose. In Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, And not only this, but we also boast in our afflictions, knowing that our affliction brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not put to shame, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. There is a purpose to our sufferings, men. Rejoice in this. For God has a purpose through your sufferings, through your life. He has ordained it. The suffering for Christ is, is natural to a Christian. It's common. Men, are you willing to suffer for Christ? Men, will you declare Christ even though it will cost you everything? Men, will you declare Christ if it will cost you your wife, your kids, your job, your family? Our hope aren't found in the things of this world, that they're found in Christ. Our sufferings are shared, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. Philippians 3.10 Jesus was tempted. Jesus was suffered. He knows. Hebrews 2.18 For since He Himself was tempted and that which He has suffered, He is able to come to help those who are tempted. You're not alone. We have Christ. We have Christ to get us through these sufferings, these afflictions, these persecutions. Man, we have this high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses. When we're tempted, when we are stumbling into sin, because Christ did not give in, He was without sin. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Now He sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Men in Hebrews 12, it says, Do not grow weary of fainting in heart. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Christ suffered for us. And as Christians, men, we can relate to the Philippian believers. They were encouraged by Paul to continue in unity, to have a target-fixed mindset on Christ, to serve others, to put yourself aside and others at the forefront, to proclaim the gospel, to stand firm 
to contend for the faith, to have one mind and one spirit in the Word of God, to share in each other's sufferings. We are to seek the Lord through these difficult times in your lives. Pray. Be on your knees to the Lord. Worship our King, for He has a purpose for your life. Men, like Paul, are you ready to die for Christ? And I challenge you to examine yourself and ask yourself, am I living for Christ? Am I giving my all, my entire self to Him? Am I serving others? Do I put myself aside and put others first? Do I have the mindset that displays someone that has the conduct the character of a Christian who sacrifices and gives to help others grow in their sanctification, to serve others. Men, ask yourselves, what am I doing with the gospel message that has been given to me? Do I have that burden that burns at the core of my soul for those who are currently lost. Men, do I have a holy affections for Christ? Even if it means suffering or having trials. Do I long to dive into the word of God's truth? To know Him. To be like Him. To be used by Him. Does my conduct reflect my faith? Do I display that I am a Christian? Or do I display that I am a so-called Christian? Brothers, if you are struggling with or falling into some of these areas, it's time to man up. Man up. Like C.S. Lewis, we need men with chest. Men with chest who stand up. None of this sissy stuff that has been promoted in our country. Biblical masculinity is good. We need it. We need strong men in the church. Men, man up. If you need help, seek a more mature brother in Christ to help mentor or disciple you. And don't sit by and waste your life. Don't waste your life. Men, I wasted my life as a teenager and in my 20s. I wasted it. And I go back, I look, I know there's no regrets, but you look back like, man, I wasted my life. Young men, don't waste your life. Contend for the faith, be diligent. And strive for the goal, which is that upper calling, right? To be with Christ that Paul desired, that we should desire. And we're not in this competition alone. We're not in this wrestling match alone. We're not in this spiritual battle alone. Men, we are joined together, contending for the faith, standing firm. Men, be men in your homes. Be the spiritual leaders that you have been called and commanded to be. You can change and be 
the Christian man that God has called you to be. Lord, Lord is uh, gracious to us that He has given these words that Paul penned to encourage the Philippian church that in verse 25 that he says, I am convinced of this, that I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and what joy in the faith. We are to rejoice. Rejoice always in all circumstances. Men, be encouraged. Seek Christ and contend for the faith. Let's pray. Lord, it is our desire that we put our selfish ambitions aside, that we die daily, that we seek You, Christ, first. Lord, teach us humility. We can be so boastful and so prideful in our lives, Lord. We pray that You help us to have the right conduct, the mindset, the thinking, because we do have the mind of Christ. Through Your Word, teach us to live a holy and godly life that is worthy that glorifies You and help us to be gospel proclamators, Lord, that we care and love for the lost, that we have victory in You. Lord, be with these men. Encourage them. Administer them through Your Holy Spirit and through Your Word. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.